and welcome to the Please Hustle Responsibly podcast. I am Christina Veltri here with my co-hosts, Christina Magro and Matt Cole. Today, we will be talking to Jennifer Kim. Um, before we get into that, I'm going to check in with uh, my co-host. Magro, how are you doing? You know what? The sun is shining today. Mm-hmm. It was shining yesterday. I think that makes a huge difference. Um, so I'm doing good. I'm enjoying uh, the snow melting now um, and the remnants of all of the dibs. Um, it just <laughs> makes me laugh. <laughs> so I'm I'm doing great. How are you doing, Matt Cole? Uh, I'm good. Uh, I'm also enjoying the sunshine. I, I was going to say that like I saw this really cool dog today that made me very happy. Uh, but right before this, I got news that my sister had her twins uh, very, very healthy and successfully. And uh, they're all good. She's currently asleep, but uh, her husband is keeping me informed and everything is going well. So I'm really stoked about that. Uh, Veltri, how are you? Um, I'm great. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Is this your first round of being an uncle? Uh, no, I've got two nieces and a nephew already. Yay! He's in bed over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, got, we got it. We got a few. <laughs> Bring on the twins. <laughs> um, Jennifer, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, I actually just had a Reiki session yesterday um, remotely, which is the first time that I've done that, but it was really wonderful. I feel like my chakras are a little bit more aligned. So I'm really excited to be uh, seeing your faces and talking with y'all. Amazing. I love that. I've only had Reiki once and it was really cool. <laughs> it was going to be like super intense. Like it, it got a little, you know, but it was really great. I think it was like much needed. Yeah. Um, great. Well, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and um, where you started in hospitality? Yeah. Uh, so my name is Jennifer Kim. Uh, up until very recently, I had um, a restaurant called Passerotto. Uh, before that, I had another restaurant called Snaggletooth. Uh, and I've been, you know, kind of just working in the industry for the last decade or so. Um, kind of, you know, been around everywhere in Chicago, but mostly stayed at um, one-off hospitality restaurants. Um, kind of started into this industry a little bit later. I was probably in my mid twenties. Originally when I graduated from high school, I went into UIC uh, to, you know, um, be a pharmacist and that didn't work out. So um, I just kind of like, you know, did the early twenties, like partying around, kind of figuring out what exactly I wanted to do in my life. Uh, So I just took like, you know, whatever kind of jobs that were available, but that like still had the weekends free. So I could like go out and hang out with friends and party. Um, and I think, you know, by my mid twenties, I was sort of like, okay, like I'm ready to like, I got that part of like, you know, my life out of my system. I didn't though, but, um, (laughs) and you know, like kind of figure out like, okay, like I'm now going to think about what I want to do as a career. Um, cause partying wasn't gonna, gonna do that. Um, and, you know, like this was during a time when like my dad was like really worried because, you know, like Korean dad, he's like, we have your like whole life mapped out for you. So he's like, oh, what are you going to do? Like you're in your twenties. Like these are your best years. Like you need to get a career under your legs. And I was like, oh, whatever. So this was the time when like 
you know, like you'd watch television and there'd be like infomercials for like, oh, be a chef, be a real estate agent, be whatever. And my dad would like send me these VHS tapes. Like He would like mail them to me and be like, can you please just like look through them and like maybe something will be like, oh, that sounds fun. Like I could be, you know, I could work in an office or be a radiologist or whatever. So none of those came to fruition, but I think, um, you know, I've always had an interest in food, um, but just from a very scientific um, viewpoint that, you know, I was like, okay, like it's something that I enjoy. Like I find it fascinating. So like what, you know, what career paths are there, you know, and this was more than 10 years ago. So the idea of, you know, a, an Asian woman working in a kitchen, like it was just, you know, like my parents just really weren't keen on the idea, but I think they were just happy that I made a decision of some sort. Um, so, you know, I kind of worked at the time, like I moved back in with my parents cause I'm like, okay, like going to go to school, going to figure it out. And I was living at home and working at a restaurant in the mall <laughs> to be like, maybe this is what I want to do. Um, and I was going to community college out there cause they just had like a certificate, like a certificate program. Um, so I finished the certificate program and then I was like, okay, I actually, I kind of like this. Like, this is something that like, I really want to put everything into. So, you know, um, a couple of months afterwards, I ended up enrolling in Kendall and just kind of blew up from there. Are you from Chicago originally? I am from Chicago originally. Yeah. Uh, a little bit outside of Chicago, um, Schomburg. Okay. Hmm. And probably all throughout my teens too. (laughs) That's awesome. I like that you were done with your, or kind of done with your partying phase, but you just realized what, how to incorporate it into your work life. Yeah. Sometimes that's not great though. (laughs) And I'm sure we'll get into that where it's just like, ah, sometimes that could be a bad coping mechanism, you know? Yeah. It's not great, but it's, it was, it was fun while it lasted. Um, so is Passerotto no longer? Yeah. So we closed in September, like end of September of 2020. Um, and, you know, just kind of transitioned into figuring out what, you know, I think it's sort of like in a regenerative, regenerative state, just like a lot of the industry is and just kind of figuring out like, okay, instead of like constantly feeling like we need to push forward and be doing something like we need to take some time to step back and say what what is the right thing to do you know like we can't keep working under the cog of capitalism to be like we got to produce we got to keep going we got to you know like yes like cash is king money rules all but also like there's got to be a way that we can reimagine the way that we want to you know kind of move forward in this industry without having that be the sole focus of why restaurants exist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for real. (laughs) Um, So you have started another project. Yes. In the time that Passerito has been closed. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, so the project is called alt economy or alternative economy. Um, And that kind of came about with, you know, the closing of my brick and mortar, Paso Roto. Um, But the idea of like an alternative economy, which has also been called like an informal economy, survival economy, circular community economy, it's, it has many different names. Um, 
but really it's just a non-traditional uh, labor model uh, that's not regulated by the city or government of any sort. Um, and it's really a market that's fueled by survival versus, you know, sustenance. So ultimately at this point, it's not a long-term sustainable model, but it is a model that fulfills a need, like an immediate need, right? Which is just getting cash into our pockets so that we can do things like pay rent, you know, pay our bills, go to doctors, things like that. Um, but this type of business model, you know, it's been around for a really long time and it's been around predominantly in um, like black, brown, immigrant, undocumented and um, poor communities. Um, and really it's such a model that's, you know, like light years ahead uh, when it comes to, you know, kind of conceptualizing and existing in informal economies. Because I think for a lot of people, like, especially like people in the industry, it's like, yeah, like when I'm not working, like I'm making money on the side because we're all underpaid. We don't have health insurance. Like we need more money. Like we need to be paid more. So like we find little ways, right? Like side hustles, like second jobs, things like that. So really it's not something that's new, but I think kind of taking the um, things that I've learned and kind of had access to. And I mean, I, I know, you know, like working in this industry and being in the position that I am, you know, like I have accumulated a platform resources, um, access as an established Chicago chef. So kind of how do I take those things and redistribute some of those resources, you know, and right now, like there's so many other micro economies. So like singular people that are their own business, um, that work in the hospitality industry. And our industry is so rife with like creativity, right? It's like made up of artists and makers and creatives and geniuses. And to really help them put dollars in their pockets by giving them a space to work for themselves. Um, but also like giving them, I don't want to say like permission, cause that sounds very like gatekeeper-y, but it's really like, like showing them like you have the full capabilities and the full creative talent to do something on your own. And that money is a hundred percent regulated by you and going to you. Like there is no middle person that is dictating how you sell your products, you know, how you, you know, advertise, how you do anything like that is your business. Like you have a full on micro business. So really like, how do you then, like, what are the resources that these businesses need in order to make enough money um, since a lot of them are out of work or really don't want to go back to work. Mm -hmm. So what's an example of like some of the businesses that are participating? So like right now we've done a couple of different, like we're trying out different models. So back in November we did, um, before it got like really cold, we did like an outdoor air market where like it was like spread out um, on the corners of where like Big Kids and Lula is. So like we kind of overtook those blocks, like spread out like 10 feet apart. And, you know, it was just like over 25 or 30 different, like we call them vendors, but I kind of hate that word. Um, but like artists, makers that worked in the industry that, you know, had micro businesses or were interested in like starting micro businesses. So like anywhere from like, you know, people making their own batch cocktails, plants, florists, um, like painters, jewelry makers, you know, just anyone that we could think of that like really wanted to participate safely. Um, we just gave them the space, didn't charge them money, like set up tables, did everything so that they could just come 
and be able to sell whatever wares they had. And in conjunction with that, we did um, like a mutual aid market where we had like the Love Bridge come in, Brave Space Alliance. Um, we had, uh, sorry, Finding Justice Farms, um, which is a really small uh, black owned farm on the South side. And they came and like, they sold produce that you could buy and then donate to, you know, the love fridge. So we kind of like wanted to conceptualize an idea of like collective care because, you know, we saw like through the government, through our industry, like no one was coming to our aid. Right. Or it just wasn't in the way that we needed them to show up for us. So, and this is something that we already know, like we take care of us. Like we're the ones doing the work for each other. Like we can't keep you know, putting our faith that bosses and restaurant companies are going to do that for us. So, you know, like that kind of helped get the idea, like the idea going. And then from there, it's really just talking to the people that were at the market and say like, okay, like, where do we move forward with this? Cause like, I, I don't know what you need, right? Like I only know what I need. So I think like just having conversations with them and being like, okay, like, Hey, like Christmas is coming up or, you know, like the holidays are coming up what do we do in there? You know, like what are ways that like artists need to make money, you know, to be able to make it through the holidays. So um, we paired up with Lula who, you know, traditionally does like a holiday bazaar, like every year. So it's like, okay, like who are the artists that typically, you know, participate in that? How do we extend that out to like the wider hospitality art community and then creating something that's, you know, completely remote online, um, that is still within like COVID regulations. So we did that. And then we just recently did like a, uh, like a Valentine's day, um, with like five or six of us, um, who are all also micro economies, um, to like put together packages, um, to think about like, okay, like how do we collaborate? How do we still find joy and creativity in the things that we do? Um, but still be able to at least like make enough money to pay rent to, you know, get the products that you need so that you can keep like this, you know, the flow of money coming in so that you can do this outside of, you know, just a couple of months. I love that. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> do the these micro businesses necessarily like have to have an LLC or can they? Awesome. That's great. Yeah. I mean, almost all of the ones that we've worked with um, don't have any. So like that also like kind of it gets a little sticky, right? Because it's like if the city finds out if someone narks on you, then it like really does put you in a position where like it, it could come back on you. Right. Like, I don't know what exactly the fines would look like from the city, but, you know, thankfully right now the city's doing their own bullshit. So, you know, like they're not really like paying attention to like what's really happening, but you know, all it takes is one angry person to make a phone call and that can topple an entire person's livelihood you know it's not just a business it's their livelihood like you're taking you're stealing money from from them you know by by reporting them so it's a little bit tricky when like you know like when we post things on like instagram or that's really the main vehicle that we're using to kind of help promote these businesses you know it sucks it's hard like but it's kind of you know a an area that we're trying to navigate to figure out like how do we best do that because like yeah like you need the eyeballs to see the pages in order to sell the products, you know? So that's a little bit difficult too. Do you foresee alt economy staying around for a long period and helping the hospitality industry specifically and um, growing within the community or? I mean, you know, it's, um, 
it's really interesting because like, you know, like I said, it's not a sustainable model. Um, but I think it's, there's things about it that are working. Right. And we see that like, whether it's part of alt economy or whether like someone who is just a micro business in there, like, this is just what I want to do. I'm working out of my home. I'm selling meal kits. I'm selling ceramics I'm selling whatever. Um, I think that there's some, that there's value in that, right? Like, because it empowers people, you know, and it gives us the space to explore other ideas besides perpetually just jumping back into something that already exists. And I'm not saying that those things shouldn't exist. Like they shouldn't exist in the way that they do, like, cause people need jobs, right? Like not everyone wants to do something for themselves, you know? And like, that's 100% okay. But for the folks who are like, Hey, like working in a traditional restaurant is not working for me, or, you know, I want to do something different or until things make radical changes, I don't want to participate anymore. Like we have to give people the time and space to be like, what else is out there? And if something doesn't exist, like what can I help create to see kind of what we want to envision for the future? So, you know, it's again, not sustainable, but it doesn't mean like the most wonderful thing about microeconomies is the flexibility to like make the changes that you need. Cause like really it's just you or like you're working in collaboration with a few other people. So, you know, you can pivot and transition what you need and how you do it um, way faster than like, if you were working under like a traditional brick and mortar where, you know, like your biggest thing is like, I got to pay rent, right. I got to pay salaries. So that's what your decisions are dictated by versus when you're working for yourself, like you can really kind of have the flexibility to make better decisions um, with your well-being as the forefront. Awesome. Um, so speaking of radicalizing the industry, um, obviously we are mental health advocates and you are as well. So what do you think uh, about the current landscape of mental health in hospitality? Oh man, <laughs> that's like, you're <laughs> chapters on that, right? Like, like people need to have a podcast because like there's a, so much to unpack, right? Like in terms of how we address mental health. And, you know, I think as a whole, as an industry, like we recognize that this is an issue, right? This is a long, it's an ongoing issue. It's a longstanding issue, um, but it's always addressed in very like broad terms, right? Like we're like, but mental health. And it's like, what does that mean? What does that mean to you as the person who is the owner, who is the chef, who is a person in power? Like, what does that exactly mean to you? Because the idea of mental health and everything that entails that goes through a lens, a singular experience of the person making those decisions, Right. So it always comes down to like kind of like a singular versus a collective or like an individual versus systemic. And it's been really interesting, you know, like I've essentially been out of a job, you know, since uh, the restaurant closed in September. Um, and, you know, like I've had restaurant tours, whatever, like reach out and be like, oh, like, what about future projects? Like, what do you think of this, that and the other? Um And, you know, like one of the first conversations that we really have, like when we sit down is like, okay, like. Um, what, you know, like for me, like I can no longer work in toxic work environments. Like that is a staunch boundary that I have. Um, so def define to me, you define to me, what is a toxic work environment? Like, what do you deem that as? And it's really interesting to hear kind of, 
I don't know how to put it nicely. And I don't need to. Um, but really, it's like, it's such like, you know what I mean? Like, they're like, oh, well, like toxic work environments are toxic systems, right? It's about like long work hours. A lot of them are underpaid or not paid at all. Um, no health insurance, low wages. You know, it's like these things that are like big systemic issues. And like, yes, 100%, those are huge contributors. Um, but there's really no like individual accountability for the things that individuals do and contribute. Um, they feel like the things that are out of their control are the problem. You know, like it's these things that like the restaurant dictates, this is just how businesses go. You know, like that's mm -hmm. something that we hear a lot, but they don't realize their own personal contributions or lack thereof that contributes to like really negative work environments that, you know, are detrimental to, to people's mental health. And when they think of like the mental health or the needs of workers, that then becomes individual. You know, that's that's a pre-existing condition that has nothing to do with work. You know, like that a mental health issue is something that is personal to the person, right? Like they it it kind of like washes your like hands of responsibility to how things that are around you like contribute to, you know, the impact of your mental health. And I think that, you know, like restaurant owners, chefs, people in power, like, you know, they get to kind of like jump back and forth and like decide like in what ways that like we are responsible and what ways that we're not, you know? And I think by not having the conversation that every single human being that is in that building is contributing to, you know, people's mental health into um, racism, into transphobia, into homophobia. Like we have to all be accountable for that, right? Like we can't just say like, well, it's just the systems, right? This, and, and it, it is like, it perpetuates it, but we have to also take individual responsibility and say like, it, are my actions negatively impacting, you know, someone's mental health, someone's well being, And if it is like, I myself as a human being need to address that and change that behavior. Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, like all these restaurants are all these communities of different people. And, you know, it's not just, all right, here's the restaurant and this is the way that we do things. And if things are wrong, it's just how restaurants are. It's like you've got individual people with individual needs. And if you're in a management position and you're not addressing each person as a person, mm -hmm. then you're just contributing overall to the to the whole problem. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I hate this idea of like, we're all family. Like, oh my God, if I have to hear that <laughs> one more time, I am going to burn down the building. Like, seriously, like what the worst form of gaslighting that I've ever heard of is like this weird, we're family. Like, we love each other. Mm -hmm. no, like traditionally families have tons of generational trauma that they're passing down. And if that's what you're talking about, yes, 100%, you are passing down shit that you learned right? When you were coming up or whatever, and then you just like dump that on like people that are coming in, you know? And like, that's not fair. And like, you just deem that as like, that's how our industry is like, ew. And it's like family. My mom would pay me more money because my yeah. mom thinks I'm great. So yeah. like, she wouldn't, she wouldn't make me debase myself to like beg for 56 <laughs> more an hour. She would make me have that sweetheart. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's a like I just I can't get over that. Like, ew, right? Like, yeah. well, it's like, why won't you work these long hours for me? Why won't you come in early and not clock in? Like, we're a family. Like, I'm not going to do anything for you, right? Because uh, <laughs> uh, that's not how my family works. But I expect a lot from you, right? Because we're a family. 
yeah. if you're and that other thing where it's like, well, you're just really hurting your coworkers. You're affecting your coworkers if you do these things. And it's like, that's not my responsibility. Like, oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> you take oh my care god. of my coworkers. <laughs> I make fourteen dollars an hour. Yeah, you take care of my coworkers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they really use that, like, right? Like, it's such like a that hierarchy, right? And it's like. You see this in the military, you see this in the government, you see this in like police forces, right? Like where it's like this brotherhood, right? Of like, you know, it's like trauma bonding with like other people who are also like in this really terrible environment that they don't want to be. And, you know, like the only way that you can get them to care about work is because they care about each other. Right. And so like you brainwash them into being like, yeah, like if you don't come in and you're sick then you're fucking over the person that works the station next to you because I'm not going to jump in and work your station. Like that person who's next to you is going to work twice as hard and do twice as much prep and be miserable for 18 hours a day. And it's like, that's just too bad. You know, like that's yeah. shitty. Like shitty. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's exploitive and it's just fucked up. And it's just like, and it's another thing where it's just like, that's just how restaurants are. And yeah. they, like, they walk away with their clipboards and they're like, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As the chef clocks out at like 8 p.m. It's like, hi, you guys are good, right? And you're like, where are you going? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, I, I see you're in the weeds. We're currently uh, crashing uh, and burning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Someone, <laughs> someone's got to take you. shots with the GM at the bar. So, oh my uh, God. <laughs> Did you guys oh. see the Ted Cruz meme? Oh, that big was, time. Like, <laughs> We're going down in flames yeah. and chefs like. <laughs> I see oh you. God. I hear you. Anyways, I'm out of here. Uh, go. No, no overtime for anyone, though. So yeah. Yeah. everyone clock out at 930 and then play. Yeah. like, oh, my God. I just, <laughs> can you believe like that was a normal part of our life? Like, how much like when people are like oh like we're just being too soft right like we're all like little snowflakes and oh my god I hate this like from chefs where it's like oh like they just don't make cooks like they used to right or they just don't make restaurants yeah. like they used to like in the old days blah 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 they used to do this and it's like so you're saying like you want to go back to a system where like we're abusing people and like they just shut up and took it because like they were yeah. made to lose their jobs like when they were told that this is a resume builder yeah oh, this is where, a where tyrannical man babies are throwing frying pans at your head because you overcook a fucking steak or yeah. some douchebag is not paying you for three months so you can work in a fine dining restaurant oh like, my gosh yeah like people are like i worked for six months at noma for no money and it's like why? Why, <laughs> why did you uh, how can you afford to do that? <laughs> <Yeah>. The fucking <laughs> oh me didn't make any money. <laughs> but also, so obvi- I can only speak to my own experience, but I remember when I first started working in restaurants, like in real restaurants when I was like 14, 15 years old, and I got paid overtime. Like I worked just as much, but I was like, damn, I'm making a lot of money because they paid me overtime and they weren't like, you need to clock out. And now like in the last decade, it's been like overtime is absolutely not acceptable, even if it's necessary. So like, I mean, the problems have always been there, but like there was a point where people actually got paid. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, I mean, if the chef's ego is so much that he needs the menu to read or they need the menu to read in a certain way, or like they've got to have these dishes, they've got to get these write-ups, they've got to win these awards, but they're unwilling to pay their staff to do those things, then they're fucking douchebags. Because like, if you're not giving your staff like the, the time and the money to get these things done and the tools to get these things done to feed your ego, like it's like, it's like, what the fuck? Like either make your menu more accessible to the people that you're working with so that things are accomplishable and they're not living on the edge of being constantly fucking stressed and then like having breakdowns in the walk-in or be like, Hey, I want these things done and I want them done this way. So if you need to work 10 hours a day, like I'm going to pay you for all of those hours because you're doing work and it's valuable to yourself. And it's also valuable to the restaurant and like restaurant owners are like, I don't want to pay for that. <laughs> like they should just want to do this. Like, what do you mean you're here for a paycheck? It's like the whole idea of like, you're passionate about this, right? Like this is your passion, right? It's your passion to cook. It's your passion to make drinks. Like this is you to like express your creativity, but we don't want to pay you for that. You know, like it's more like they dangle that over our heads to convince us that like we're living our dream. So like, Mm -hmm. why do you need to pay for that? Right? Like your payment is the fact that you get to do this every day. And you're like, it just like shows like how much, capitalism devalues certain work like especially like art-based or creative work like they don't think that as a value because they don't get to see a tangible thing that you can charge ridiculous amounts of money for right like you can't charge for passion you can't charge for love you know so they're like so we're not going to pay you for that because like we don't value those things we value your hands we value your brain to do the work but like we don't want to pay you for like everything that kind of comes with it yeah, and the restaurant owners are are more worried about making the customer happy at whatever cost and like reading Yelp reviews than actually like interacting with their staff and making sure that they're okay. Like, <laughs> it's like it's like the brainwashing of professionalism, which like that's all bullshit too, right? Of like, you know, in businesses, we need to act a certain way, we need to dress a certain way, we need to behave in a certain way, and like it's all this performance for the guest. It's all in this performance for your bosses. Right. And it's just like, it's another way that they control, like how, you know, what we talk about, what we do, you know, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's like, there's so many layers to like how things, you know, like really impact your mental state when you walk into, you know, a restaurant, right. When you walk into work and it's like some days, like I used to just like be on the bus and be like, I don't know why I'm doing this, right? Like, why am I doing this? And I've been doing this for, you know, five years at the same restaurant. Like, what the fuck? Like, I dread going into work. Like, that's not normal. Like, that's leads you to like really unhealthy coping mechanisms, mm-hmm. right? And it's hard because like, you know, like when we talk about like addressing mental health in broad terms, like, you know, like I remember like talking with coworkers and being like, oh yeah, like, I'm not feeling that great today mentally. Right. But it's just like, you don't really get to talk about it because a, like you're at work or B like they're undergoing their own, you know, sort of like mental duress too. And it's like, so how do we cope? It's like, we all go out late at night and we drink and we do drugs and, you know, we don't sleep. And like, we try to find these ways. And like, once again, it's like just trauma bonding us. And this is how the only way that we know how to cope because like, we've never been shown or given permission to talk about it openly. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I thought I thought I was going to say something. So. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, I think that we've covered this a little bit, but in more concise terms, what do you think is lacking in the hospitality industry? Um, I mean, the one word that comes to mind most is just accountability. Like there's just so little of it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's so incredibly important. Like if we want any kind of like step forward or evolution in this industry, that like accountability happens in any kind of form and that like, from your coworkers to your managers to your owners and to the customers as well, because like the shit's like if you want this to continue and you want people to be happy and successful in this industry, like if you don't hold people accountable, it's never going to work. Yeah, and hold everyone accountable. I think that every single person, the people that talk about accountability in restaurants, are often not able to be held accountable. Um, i.e. owners. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so you have been a huge supporter of people in this industry. Um, you build strong, inclusive spaces. And as we know, this industry is known for being competitive and having a lack of empathy. So um, how and when did you make the step to prioritize people around you? Um, so I think really like going out on my own was a huge eye opener. And I think everyone who kind of, you know, kind of leaves the the bigger restaurant world to kind of do their own thing, um, kind of go through the same thing, but, you know, like being in the industry for almost a decade and, you know, like not really understanding that there was like anything else outside of that, like that there was other ways to exist besides like the ways that we've been taught. Um, I think that was like a really hard lesson to learn. And, you know, like I left and then went out and opened Snaggletooth about five years ago. And, you know, that was like my first foray into doing something completely without the support of a restaurant, right? Like a restaurant group. Um, And I opened that with um, like, I co-owned that with another person and, it was actually more toxic than it was when I worked in restaurants. Like, and I think like that was such a good, I want, it's not a good lesson. Like that is a lesson that like no one should have to learn that way. But I think learning that like really made me be like, okay, like things like there are things that are in my control that like we can say, like, we don't want to do things in this certain way. And like, we have to start when you, build a restaurant that has to be the foundation. It can't be something that you add on later. And like, you can, right? Like there are restaurants that need to change, you know, like policies and systems that are racist, right? Like they they need to be addressed and they need to do something different. But, you know, like it makes it so much harder when like you're trying to change systems that already exist um, versus saying like, the minute that I've even think about conceptualizing a restaurant, it needs to be built on this foundation, right? Like what does safe and inclusive mean? And, you know, when we opened Passeroto, like that was one of the first things that, you know, like we had as a conversation as a staff, but really that first year was really, really difficult just because like me not understanding that like my idea of safe and inclusive is different to every single person, right? Like we can we can have a conversation as a group and be like, what does that mean to you, right? Like, 
And we can say the words like we can like think about like certain policies and like those make small changes. But ultimately what it comes down to is like that hierarchy still exists, right? Like where even though I don't want to be, I'm still the owner and the chef, right? Like so ultimately like the decisions come down to me and you know, like the decisions I was making was still under this lens of like, well, I know what safe and inclusive means, right? Like, I think, I think I have a pretty good idea, but like, that's still, you know, it doesn't include everyone who's physically in that space or people who want to be in that space. And I think like, that was like a big learning experience. And I think for me, I was still trying to figure out like, okay, like what kind of, you know, a person am I in this industry? You know, like, how is that changing? And I think going out on my own, like really gave me a lot of space to unlearn a lot of the things that I learned in the 10 years that I was in the industry. And also like, you know, giving myself permission to be myself, right? Like to really understand like, who is that? What is that? What does that mean? And what does that mean in the larger scope of being a part of, you know, the community that's in Andersonville and also the community that's within these four walls. and Um, there's like a quote that says like, you know, being your most authentic, complete self, um, allows other people to feel safe enough to be themselves too. And I think that was like, that was hard, you know, cause like we have a very like set idea of like what a chef looks like, what an owner looks like, what a cook looks like, right? Like, like these are the bullet points that you need to fulfill in order to be considered one of those things. And like, we really like limit ourselves in our creativity and in our abilities to like do big things, like to work outside of like those frameworks. So I think like that was really hard. And so like the second year during Pasarotto, um, you know, like I'm admittedly Virgo control freak, right? Like that's what makes me like partially good at the job that I do, like the jobs that I do, because, you know, like when it comes to like numbers and like figuring out financials and whatever, like you have to be regimented, right? Like you have to be like really, you know, paying attention to all those like little small details, but like, you can't extend that to like every part of your life. And it's like really understanding like, okay, like this isn't about control, right? This management isn't about control. Like it's about community and it's about like allowing people to be themselves. And, you know, just like what Matt was saying, it like really ties in to like this whole idea of like equality versus equity. And those two words get like interchanged so often, but they have vastly different meanings. And yes, like, I think this industry is, thinking right now in this regenerative state that like, oh, like we just need to be equal to everyone, right? Like we just need more representation within like all ranks of um, of hospitality. But like, that's not what, that's not what's going to solve the problem, right? Like we have to look at individuals as individuals and say like, what, you know, what are the things that you individually need, right? To feel safe and included. What are the ways that like our relationship needs to work? And like the whole idea of professionalism of how, you know, like managers don't get like personally interact with their staff, right? Like you can be cordial, you can be nice, but you don't get to know them. You don't, you know, like extend any sort of empathy beyond just the hellos, goodbyes, you did a great job today, right? Like it's very much like looking at workers through this lens of hierarchy, right? Of being like, I'm not supposed to interact with you because I'm your manager. Like, how are you going to get to know the people that you're working with if you're not going to extend any sort of empathy or compassion beyond just doing your job, you know? And I think that's kind of 
the biggest lesson that I learned in terms of understanding what building those types of spaces like actually means. Amazing. (laughs) So I think that we also kind of touched on this a little bit, but I want to be sure how important is community for the future development of uh, and growth of the hospitality industry? Um, I think like community, again, it's like such a broad term. And sometimes like when certain people use it, it like has that connotation of family, right? Like we're a community, like we're all in this together. And it's like, motherfucker, no, we're not right. Like we are not in this together. Like you, you got you, but like, you don't got us. So I think, you know, like community, as we understand it as like those that can be most impacted by the decisions that are made, that's the community, right? The community is your hourly is your hourly staff are your workers are the people who come in and like, they are the hands and the hearts of everything that happens in that building. Like the, that's community. Right. Um, and that can like branch off into a cup, like a bunch of different ideas of community, but like really what that comes down to is we see that community driven worker focused models work. They worked for millennia. Right. And like, it's kind of exciting to me. Um, I was like speaking with someone that we did the Valentine's Day thing with uh, Alicia Norris Jones. And, you know, she was like, it's it's a really exciting time because it's almost like we're going back to like medieval times. And I don't mean like the castle with like the jousting knights, like, like the idea that like, everyone has like a thing, right? Like whether it's art, whether it's food, whether it's drink that like they're passionate about and they're doing it for themselves, right? And you want to come like get a cocktail, like let's barter, let's trade. Like sometimes money doesn't even need to be exchanged, right? It's about like an exchange of goods, but it's also an exchange of ideas and it's an exchange of care. And I think like that's really what community means, right? Like it's about like taking care of the people that are around you in your direct neighborhood that are around you that, you know, you care about and that, you know, you know, have the same set of like morals and principles and future building. And that's community, right? Like you keep building that. And I think now more than ever, Chicago's hospitality industry, like is banding together as a community outside of restaurants. And I think that's really, really, really exciting. Yeah, it's, it's it's super cool to see everyone, like, everyone in Chicago, I feel like, has so much empathy, in our industry at least, like, has so much empathy and, like, so much to give, and they're just like, cool, let's fucking do it, let's go. <laughs> and it's <laughs> it's yeah. been, like, amazing to watch, like, all of these people that I know and love already that are just, like, gung-ho doing everything they can to make sure that everyone is taken care of right now, and yeah. it's beautiful, really. And it just, like, goes, it just, like, asks the question, like, you know, it's this whole idea of like singular and collective again, right? It's like we we as a society and an industry like celebrate singular creativity, right? Like one chef, one menu, one whatever, like this, look at this star, whatever. And, you know, but our industry is like just brimming over with so much like new thought and interesting ideas and creative solutions throughout like all levels, all levels of hospitality, but especially from workers and hourly employees. Like, so that begs the question of, why are we not listening to them? You know, like, why do we not value them beyond their ability to just cook or to just serve or to just make cocktails? Like, we don't value them beyond their singular creativity. Um, 
And, you know, like I get it, like that goes back to like efficiency and industrialism, which like leads into capitalism. But like, seriously, like the like if you look at people as people and like as fully complex human beings, like you can see like they're more than just the things that they do. Like they're like just so creative. And I think, you know, like through you know, social media and everyone being kind of like, I don't really want to work in restaurant industries anymore or I want to work for myself. Like that is shining through. Like the things that you see that people are doing, like whether it's from a community standpoint or from like an individual creative standpoint is like, it's just like blowing my mind. Like, I'm just like, there's so many things to eat, to drink, to like look at, to buy. Cause it's like, these people are so creative, like so creative. Where do you find your most inspiration? Oh, it's been kind of hard to find inspiration. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like, you know, like ongoing inspiration, like obviously like seeing other people and seeing like, you know, what they're doing in the community is very inspiring. Um, but, you know, like introspectively, like thinking of like the future and kind of like where whether I like where I see myself in it or collectively as a whole where, you know, we kind of hope it to go. Um, I've been reading a lot of like science fiction, which is actually been really great and like really interesting to use as sort of a, I don't know, like a buffer. Um, but, and I talk about this, like, I can't not talk about this like over and over, but um, uh, over the summer, I read Octavia's Brood, which is a collection of short stories written by uh, POC authors um, inspired by Octavia Butler, who is um, a really well-known Black sci-fi writer. And um, one of the things that, you know, um, in just like even in the introduction, and like I probably cried like the entire time that I read this book, like because it's just so inspiring. But, you know, like even just like in the introduction, um, uh, one of the co-authors like writes about like speculative fiction or like science fiction as like a practice um, to imagine the fantastic, right? Like to imagine like we're world building, like that's what sci-fi is. It's like, what are the possibilities in, in the future? Like, like without any barriers, without any boundaries, like what are the things that we can imagine? So it's like, wow, like, yeah, like, because like, um, like I can't remember the quote, sorry. I like wrote it down and I can't find it now, but you know, it's it's about like how the like our everyday lives contribute to us imagining the fantastic and the fantastic liberates the mundane, you know. So like we feel like we're living in this mundane like existence, right? Like we don't want to be in this perpetual wheel of capitalism. At least a lot of us don't. So it's like, what are we imagining for the future? Like we're imagining fantastic things. We're imagining like things that like I can't even fathom. Like some of the things that I've been hearing from um like a lot of like the community workers, um, and even like the like folks who want to like unionize Chicago workers is just like, Oh my God, like I would have never thought of that. Like, I just don't have the imagination to do that, but like, but you do. So like, what are your thoughts and what are your thoughts? And like, let's like, it's all about collaboration to figure out like, what do we want to build for the future? And, you know, like it's, it's such a refreshing thing to see and hear um, like through science fiction. Cause like these, these are people that, you know, are from marginalized communities that are like, here's what I imagine the future to be like. And it is phenomenal and fantastic. And then things in ways that like we can't even fathom, but like we can hope. And I think like that's been like really great to read 
and then take those things and say like, wow, like we can apply this for our industry too. We can apply for any industry. We can apply for society and say like, we should keep continually imagining and reimagining world building and future building. Like, yeah, people are going to be like, we can't do that. Like, because A, B, and C, or like that won't work here because of blah, blah, blah. And it's like, fuck off. I want to imagine like, right. I want to imagine like a world where like, and like, this is the biggest thing. It's like a world where like, you know, people can live outside of um, like the, the struggles of having an identity, of having like multiple identities, hyphen identities, right? Like we, we don't want to just be stalwarts of our pain, right? Of things that always like, oh, like these are things that happen to us, right? Like these are things that are done to us, right? Like we also want to imagine a future like where we're joyful and we're happy and like we don't have to be like confined to those pains, right? Like we don't have to be confined, confined, confined to the things that society throws upon us, right? Like we also want to imagine a place where like like we exist and we're happy and we're creative and we're joyful because we're human beings. So that's been really exciting to read. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I'm just kind of like super, <laughs> I told you, I can't even like talk about the book without getting like emotional. Cause it's like, Oh my God, like, Oh my God. Like I just like freak out over like how good, <laughs> how good like these short stories are. In a ideal, no limits world. What does the future of hospitality look like? Oh, well, I think like a, like being joyful, like really enjoying coming into, you know, whatever our careers or jobs may look like, and maybe they aren't even careers and jobs, you know, but I think something that is, you know, like community focused and worker led, you know, and I think that is the future and that's going to create something that is so much more imaginative and so much more phenomenal and like it's going to benefit more than just the people within those four walls. Like it's going to be a comprehensive way that we think of how our industry, which is a service industry, right? Like we're providing a service to people, right? And like, I think a lot of us that work in the service industry like that aspect, right? Like we like serving people, you know, it's, it, it, it gives us a sense, like it gives us a good sense of like who we are. Right. And I think we don't want to lose that aspect, but it shouldn't be, a servitude industry, right? It shouldn't be like we are at the expense of people with money. Um, and I think that's what really skews um, the way that, you know, we think of this industry now because like it just, it's so commercialized, right? Like it's so, I keep using this word, like, but it's so unimaginative and it's boring, right? Like, and we're not going to stand for that anymore. Like we're not going to stand for exploitation anymore. We're not going to stand for working in places that don't value us as human beings. Like we just, we have to refuse doing that, you know? And I think, I don't know, maybe it looks like co-ops. Maybe it looks like, you know, community, like collective ownership, you know, like that's something that like we're exploring through like alt economy is like, can you make a business like with collective ownership? Maybe. You know, that's run and led and worked by the people who own that business. There's no hierarchy, like who knows? Um, but I don't know. like it's just really exciting in this time to like really be able to talk about those things. And what does your future look like? Oh man, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully being a part of one of those things, <laughs> you know, that would be great. Um 
you know, like for a moment, like a couple months ago, I was like, I'm done. Like I'm done with like hospitality. Like it's, there's nothing left for me there. Like I don't see any joy in it. Um, but I think that's also just me being like, blah, right. Like it's all or nothing. Um, but I think like being able to talk to like y'all being able to talk to like other members, um, within the industry, um, and just like their ideas and just like what their futures look like has been really, you know, inspiring to be like, okay, like, no, there is a future. Like, cause I can only see it through a lens of my own experience of like, what could I imagine the future to look like? And like, someone's already conceptualizing things that I'm like, whoa, like, okay, like, that's a great idea. Like, how do we make those things a reality? And, you know, like, how do I help you? How do I become a part of that? And I think, you know, I think I'm going to stick around, you know, for at least a little while longer in hospitality and whatever, in whatever ways that like that kind of evolves into. Yeah. I think that, I mean, so many people have pivoted and changed paths during this time and I was in the same place. And then I just, I just keep reminding myself that if like people that are really passionate and want the industry to be better leave, it's only going to leave what was and we can never make a better. (laughs) So I'm glad that you're sticking with it for now because we need, we need you. (laughs) you. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I feel like thank you, Jen. for weeks, but like, thank <laughs> you. I really appreciate this conversation. Yeah, thank you all for having this conversation to even begin with. You know, I think it's important. Absolutely. Um, well, we will link uh, Alt Economy to this conversation. And um, if anybody has any questions, they can shoot those to us and we will forward them to Jen. Um, as always, please hustle responsibly. Thank you.